0: It was an eerie journey. The hill was honeycombed with caves linked by passages, natural and occasionally, by the look of it, artificial. It was a small city. There were middens, crude cages now empty of whatever had been in them, and here and there quite large beds of fungus, in some cases being harvested very, very slowly, by goblins who barely glanced at the policemen. At one point they passed an opening which appeared to lead to a creche, by the sound of it, in which case baby goblins twittered like birds. Vimes couldn't bring himself to look further inside. As they went lower down, they came across a very small rivulet that trickled out of one wall. The goblins, in a rough and ready way, had made a culvert, so that their journey onwards was to the sound of running water. And everywhere there were goblins, and the goblins were making pots. Vimes was prepared for this, but badly prepared. He had expected something like the dwarf workshops he had seen in Überwald, noisy, busy, and full of purposeful activity. But that wasn't the goblin way. It appeared that if a goblin wanted to start in a pot, all it needed to do was to find a place to hunker down, rummage through whatever it was it had in its pockets, and get to work, so slowly that it was hard to tell that anything was going on. Several times Vimes thought he heard the chip of stone on stone, or the sound of scratching, or what might be sawing, but whenever he came close to a squatting goblin, it politely edged around and leaned over the work like a child trying to keep a secret.' How much snot, he thought, how many fingernail clippings, how much earwax did a goblin accumulate in one year? Would an annual pot of snot be something like a lady's delicate snuff-box, or would it be a sloshing great bucketful? And why not, yes, why not teeth? Even humans were careful when it came to the escaped teeth, and, come to that, there were people, especially wizards, who made a point of ensuring that their toenails were put beyond use. He smiled to himself. Maybe the goblins weren't all that stupid.' only more stupid than humans were, which, when you came to think of it, took some effort. And then, as they crept past a cross-legged goblin, it sat back on its haunches and held up light. Vimes had seen plenty of jewels. Generations of rings, brooches, necklaces, and tiaras had funnelled down the centuries and into Lady Sybil's lap, although these days most of them were kept in a vault. That always amused him. Sparkled though Sybil's jewels might— He would have sworn that none of them could have filled the air with light as much as the little pot did when its creator held it up for a critical appraisal. The goblin turned it this way and that, inspecting it like a man thinking of buying a horse from somebody called Honest Harry. White and yellow beams of light shimmered as it moved, filling the drab cave with what Vimes could only think of as echoes of light. Feeney was staring as a child might stare at his first party. The goblin, however, appeared to sneer at its creation, and tossed it dismissively over its shoulder, where it smashed on the wall. "'Why did you do that?' Vimes shouted so loudly that the goblin he was addressing cowered, and looked as if it expected to be struck. It managed to say, "'Bad pot, bad work, for to be ashamed. Make much better one time more. We'll start now.' It took another terrified look at Vimes, and hurried into the darkness of the cave. "'He smashed it! He actually smashed it!' Feeney stared at Vimes. "'He took one look at it and smashed it, and it was wonderful! That was criminal! You can't just destroy something as wonderful as that, can you?' Vimes put a hand on Feeney's shoulder. "'I think you can, if you've just made it, and think you could have done it better. After all, even the best craftsmen sometimes make mistakes, yes?' "'You think that was a mistake?' Feeney rushed over to where the debris of the late pot had hit the floor, and picked up a handful of glittering remains. "'Sir, he did throw these away, sir!' Vimes opened his mouth to reply, but there was a faint noise from Feeney's hand. Dust was falling between his fingers like the sands of time. Feeney grinned nervously at Vimes and said, "'Maybe it was a bit shoddy after all, sir.' Vimes squatted down and ran his fingers through the pile of dust. "'And it was just dust, stone dust.' No more colour or sparkle to it than you would find in a pebble by the road. There was no trace of the scintillating rainbow that they had just seen. But on the other side of this cave another goblin was trying to look inconspicuous as it worked on what was probably another pot. Vimes stepped over to it with care, because it was holding its pot as if prepared to use it to defend itself. Casually, to show that he meant no harm, Vimes put his arms behind his back and said, in tones learned from his wife, "'My word!' That looks like a very good pot. Tell me, how do you make a pot, sir? Can you tell me?' The potter looked down at the thing in its hands, or the thing in its claws, if he wanted to be nasty, and perhaps slightly more accurate, and said, "'I make the pot.' It raised the work in progress. Vimes wasn't that good at stone, which wasn't part of masonry, but this one was slightly yellow and shiny. He said, "'Yes, I can see that, but how do you actually make the pot?' Once again, the potter sought enlightenment from the universe, looking up and down and everywhere that Vimes wasn't. At last, inspiration dawned. I make pot. Vimes nodded gravely. Thank you for sharing the secrets of your success, he said, and turned to Feeney. Come on, let's keep going. It seemed that a goblin cave, or lair, or burrow, depending on what effect you wanted to give, was not quite the hellhole that you might have thought. Instead, it was just, well... A hole, stuffy with the smoke of the innumerable small fires goblins appeared to need, along with the associated small pile of rotted kindling, and not forgetting the personal midden. Goblins, old and young, watched them carefully as they passed, as if expecting them to put on a programme of entertainment. There were certainly juvenile goblins. Vimes had to admit that alone among the talking species, goblin babies were plug-ugly, merely small versions of their parents, who themselves were no oil paintings, not even a watercolour. Vimes told himself that they could not help it, that some incompetent god had found a lot of bits left over, and decided that the world needed the creature that looked like a cross between a wolf and an ape, and gave them what was surely one of the most unhelpful pieces of religious dogma, even by the standards of celestial idiocy. They looked like the bad guys, and without the intervention of the summoning dark, they sounded like them too. If walnuts could shriek when they were being cracked, then people would say, "'Doesn't that remind you of a goblin?' And it appeared that, not content with all this, the laughing God had apparently given them that worst of gifts self-knowledge, leaving them so certain that they were irrevocably walking rubbish that, metaphorically, they couldn't even find the energy to clean the step. "'Oh, blast! I'm treading on something—in something,' said Feeney. "'You seem to be able to see much better than me down here, sir.' "'Good, clean living lad, carrots and what-not. Jefferson could be in here somewhere. I'm sure there are caves that we're missing.' I know he's not in here, lad, only don't ask me how I know, because I would have to lie to you. I'm going through the motions to help myself think. It's an old copper trick. Yes, sir, treading in every motion, I should think, Vimes smiled in the gloom. Well done, lad. A sense of humour is the copper's friend. I always say the day isn't complete without a little chuckle. He paused, because something had clanged against his helmet. We've reached Jefferson's ironwork, workings, my lad. I just found an oil lamp. I certainly haven't seen those higher up. He felt in his pocket, and soon a match flame bloomed. Well, Vimes thought, it's not that much of a mine, but I bet it works out better than paying dwarf prices. I can't see any way out, Feeney volunteered. I suppose he drags the ore out through the main entrance. I don't think that the goblins are stupid enough to live in a set of caves that have just one entrance. There's probably one that doesn't even show up on the outside. Look, you can see where somebody's been lugging heavy weights across the stone, Vimes stopped. "'there was another human in the cave. "'Well, thank you, Darkness,' he thought. "'I suppose asking who it is might be in order. "'Sir, I don't think it's just mining that goes on here. "'Take a look at these,' said Feeney behind Vimes. "'Feeney held out some books—children's books, by the look of it. "'They were grubby—this was, after all, the home of goblins. "'But Vimes turned to the first page of the first book "'and was not surprised to see an unfeasibly large red apple— "'currently somewhat soiled by the pressure of many dirty hands. "'A voice in the gloom, a female voice, said, "'Not all questions are answered, Commander, "'but fortunately some answers are questioned. "'I'm attempting to teach the goblin children. "'Of course I had to bring in an apple for the young ones to see,' "'the woman in the shadows added. "'Not many knew what one was, and certainly not what they were called. "'Troll language is unbelievably complex compared with what these poor devils have got.' "'Good day to you, too, Mr. Upshot. "'Not cowering away from the truth in your lock-up?' "'Vimes had spun round when he first heard that voice, "'and was now staring with his mouth open. "'You? Aren't you the, uh, the pool lady?' "'Yes, Commander Vimes. "'It's amazing, isn't it, how people remember?' "'Well, you must admit that it does—how can I put it? "'stick in the mind, Miss Felicity Beadle. "'Very well done, Commander, considering that we've met only once.' And now Vimes noticed that with her there was a goblin, a young one by the size of it, but more noticeable because it was staring directly at him with a keen and interested gaze, quite uncharacteristic of the goblins that he had seen so far, apart from the wretched Stinky. Feeney, on the other hand, was taking great care not to catch the lady's eye, Vimes noticed. He smiled at Miss Beadle. Madam, I reckon I see your name at least once every day. When I was putting my lad to bed yesterday, do you know what he said? He said, Dad! Do you know why cows do big, wet, sloppy poos and horses do them all nice and soft and smelling of grass? Because it's weird, isn't it, that you get two different kinds of poo when they're both about the same size and it's the same grass, isn't it, Dad? Well, the poo lady says it's because cows have room in ants and the ants help them get sort of more food out of their food. But because horses don't have room in ants, they don't sort of chew all that much, so that their poo is still very much like grass and doesn't smell too bad. Vimes saw that the woman was grinning and went on. I believe that tomorrow he is going to ask his mother if he may chew his dinner very hard one day and the next day not do it very much and see if he gets different smells. What do you think of that, madam? Miss Beadle laughed. It was a very enjoyable laugh. "'Well, Commander, it would seem that your son combines your analytical thinking with inherited Ramkin talent for experimentation. You must be very proud. I certainly hope you are.' "'You can bet on that, Madam.' The child standing in Miss Beadle's shadow was smiling, too, the first smile he'd seen on a goblin. But before he could say anything, Miss Beadle directed a disapproving look at Feeney and went on, "'I only wish I could find you in better company, Commander. I wonder if you know where my friend Jethro is, Officer.' Even in the lamplight, Feeney looked furious, but if you read people, and Vimes was a ferocious reader, it was clear that the fury was spiced with shame and dread. Then Vimes looked down at the little bench, where there were a few tools and some more brightly covered books. It was the streets that had taught Vimes that there were times when you would find it best to let a nervous person get really nervous, and so he picked up a book as if the previous dreadful exchange had not taken place, and said, "'Oh, here's Where's My Cow?' Young Sam loves it. Are you teaching it to the goblins, miss?' With her eyes still on the agitated Feeny, Miss Beadle said, "'Yes, for what it's worth. It's hard work. Incidentally, technically, I'm Mrs. Beadle. My husband was killed in the Clatchian War. I went back to Miss because, well, it's more authory, and besides, it wasn't as though I'd had much time to get accustomed to Misses.' "'I'm sorry about that, madam. Had I known, I'd have been a lot less flippant,' said Vimes." Miss Beedle gave him a wan smile. "'Don't worry, Flippant sometimes does the trick.' Beside the teacher, the little goblin said, "'Flippant, the ant is turned over.' "'Tears of the mushroom is my star pupil. You're wonderful, aren't you, Tears of the mushroom?' "'Wonderful is good,' said the goblin girl, as though tasting every word. "'Gentle is good. The mushroom is good. Tears are soft. I am Tears of the mushroom. This much is now said.' It was a strange little speech. The girl spoke as if she were pulling words out of a rack and then tidily putting them back in their places as soon as they had been said. It sounded very solemn, and it came from an odd, flat, pale face. In a way, Tears of the Mushroom looked handsome, if not exactly pretty, in what looked like a wraparound apron, and Vimes wondered how old she was—thirteen, fourteen, maybe? And he wondered if they would all look as smart as this if they got their hands on some decent clothing and did something about their god-awful hair— The girl's hair was long and braided and pure white. Amazingly, in this place, she looked like a piece of fragile porcelain. Not knowing what to say, he said it anyway. "'Pleased to meet you, tears of the Mushroom!' Vimes held out his hand. The Goblin Girl looked at it, then looked at him, and then turned to Miss Beadle, who said, "'They don't shake hands, Commander, for people who seem so simple they're astoundingly complicated.' she went on, it would seem that Providence has brought you here in time to solve the murder of Pleasant Contrast, who was an excellent pupil. I came up here as soon as I heard, but the goblins are used to undeserved and casual death. I'll walk with you to the entrance, and then I've got a class to teach. Vimes tugged at Feeney to make him keep up as they followed Miss Beadle and her charge towards the surface, and blessed fresh air. He wondered what had become of the corpse. What did they do with their dead? Bury them? Eat them? Throw them on the mitten? or was he just not thinking right, a thought which itself had been knocking at his brain for some time? Without thinking, he said, "'What else do you teach them, Miss Beadle, to be better citizens?' The slap caught him on the chin, probably because even in her anger Miss Beadle realised that he still had his steel helmet on. It was a corker, nonetheless, and out of the corner of his stinging gaze he saw Feeney take a step back—at least the boy had some sense.' "'You are the God's own fool, Commander Vimes. "'No, I am not teaching them to be fake humans. "'I am teaching them how to be goblins, clever goblins. "'Do you know they have only five names for colours? "'Even trolls have around sixty, "'and a lot more than that if they find a paint salesman. "'Does this mean goblins are stupid? "'No, they have a vast number of names "'that even poets haven't come up with, "'for things like the way colours shift and change, "'the melting of one hue into another. "'They have single words for the most complicated of feelings.' I know about two hundred of them, I think, and I'm sure there are a lot more. What you may think are grunts and growls and snarls are, in fact, carrying vast amounts of information. They're like an iceberg, Commander. Most of them is where you can't see or understand, and I'm teaching Tears of the Mushroom and some of her friends so that they may be able to speak to people like you who think goblins are dumb. And do you know what, Commander? There isn't much time. They're being slaughtered. It's not called that, of course, but slaughter is how it ends, because they're just dumb nuisances, you see. Why don't you ask Mr. Upshot what happened to the rest of the goblins three years ago, Commander Vimes? And with that, Miss Beadle turned on her heel and disappeared down into the darkness of the cave, with tears of the mushroom bobbing along behind her, leaving Vimes to walk the last few yards out into the glorious sunlight.